Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode seven of Kip on Learning. I'm your host, Dave Levin. And each episode, we'll be sharing insights, inspiration, and challenges from across the Kip network and beyond. This month, with the election just a few weeks away, we'll be talking about the Latinx vote. 32 million people who identify as Latinx will be eligible to vote in the 2020 election. This is a record number, and according to the Pew Research Center, makes Latinos the largest minority voting group for the first time in history. Closer to home, over 40% of KIPP's 115,000 students identify as Latinx, and more than 30,000 KIPP alumni are now of voting age. Our students, alumni, and families have lots of thoughts in this election and the impact it will have on their lives. On this episode of KIPP on Learning, we'll talk about the influence Latinx voters have to shape one of the most important elections in U.S. history and the work being done to mobilize Latinx voices across the nation. We've got two remarkable guests today. I'm honored and excited to be joined by Clarissa Martinez de Castro, Deputy Vice President of Policy and Advocacy at Unidos US, where she leads efforts to advance fair and effective immigration policies and to expand Latino civic engagement by helping immigrants become citizens and citizens become voters. Clarissa is a frequent media commentator on the Latino electorate and on immigration issues. She also designed and leads the Rise Above campaign, an initiative to build a positive, accurate narrative about change in America in order to foster collaborative action. I'm also thrilled that Dr. Steven Nuno Perez is with us. Dr. Nuno Perez is the Director of Communications and Senior Analyst at Latino Decisions. His academic work and research largely explores the relationship between Latinos and the American political system, has focused on Latinx, LGBTQ political participation, the impact of voter IDs on minorities, and the influence of partisan outreach on Latino voter choice. He brings almost eight years of experience writing for NBC News Latino, covering politics, immigration, political campaigns, and life stories of Latinos making their imprint on the American story. He has written over 200 articles for NBC News since 2012, making him one of the most widely read Latino public voices in academia. Clarissa and Stephen, thank you both for joining us. Very, very grateful. Thank you. So a lot to cover, and we're not even going to talk about the most recent debate. So let's start out with this. Two-thirds of Latinx eligible voters live in just five states, several of which are battlegrounds. California, Texas, Florida, New York, and Arizona. Can you help us understand the significance of what this means for the country? Clarissa, why don't we start with you? Well, we know that, first of all, whether you call yourself Latino, Latina, Hispanic, or Latinx, our community is going to have 32 million Latino U.S. citizens of, of 18 years or more. I make that distinction because between that number and those in the voting booth, we need to make sure that we stop in the voter registration stop, right? And one of the sad things about our country or challenging is that there's very little investment in actual voter registration. So we hear all this money that gets spent every campaign cycle, very little goes into voter registration. And that's one of the exciting things. The Latino community has been organizing itself in many of the states that you are mentioning that are battlegrounds. It's because over a period of years, the community has been organizing 
continue little by little, poniendo su granito de arena to get registered and to get more folks to the polls. And because we're also a young community, our electorate is one of the fastest growing. So we hope to see between 14 and 15 million Latinos casting a vote this cycle. And we know based on the different geographies of where we are located, that we are certainly going to play a decisive role at the presidential level. You know, if you look at states like Arizona, California, Pennsylvania, even North Carolina, but there's also Senate races, House races. In 2018, Latinos actually were part of deciding the balance of power in the US House of Representatives. And not to mention the montón of state and local races that also our community has a, a great influence over deciding. So I'm very excited about the fact that our community is organizing itself. And one of the biggest motivators is to vote for us. Thank you for that, Clarissa. Stephen, do you have, how do you see this? Yeah, I, I agree. One of the things that when we think about the top five states that Latinos are you know, the largest minority group, when you think about those five states, that makes up about 170 electoral votes in an election where you only need 270 electoral votes to win the presidency. So the influence, I mean, if you can get and galvanize the Latino vote as a party, you're halfway there, right? So when we think about 15% or 18% of the population, their distribution has a great impact at the national level. At the local level, almost half of the elected officials that are Latino are in the school boards, right? And so they're at the, the very local level, and that's because... Latinos are very young, right? And young people have families and families have kids who are in school. And this is why education is so important to Latinos, whether it's going to college, having access to a college education, or making sure that your kids have a quality education. So parents, Latinos, are active on the ground level. They have great impact at the national level. And their distribution makes them a very powerful force at the state level. So all up and down the ladder, Latinos are, are very important to engage politically. So there's a lot to follow up on that. I want to definitely pick up on the, the school board and education issues. First, I want to go back to something you talked about, Larissa, which is just the mobilization efforts. And I'd love to build a little there on if you were advising the candidates, if you were speaking to them, both, both presidential candidates, Senate candidates, local candidates, to appeal to Latinx voters and to the Latinx community and other young people of color for them to turn out and actually vote. What advice would you give? What would be the issues that you would want them focused on to be most effective? Well, we actually, at Unidos US, we are running a number of nonpartisan voter registration, get out the vote and voter information efforts. And as part of that, we've actually asked Latino voters themselves what are the priorities that they identify? And did surveys with thousands of voters across the country. And I think the priorities are not going to surprise us, right? So the number one priority for Latino voters is an effective response to the pandemic. We know that Latinos are overrepresented among essential workers helping all of us overcome the pandemic. And we also know that in part, as a result of that and other factors, we also are 
disproportionately contracting the disease and dying, while at the same time, many of our families have been left out of relief measures to date. So effective response to the pandemic, number one. Number two and number three are actually connected to number one. Number two is job creation and better wages. The economy has always been a top issue for this very hardworking community of ours. And more so right now, the pandemic has hit the Latino community very hard economically as well. Number three, to reduce the high costs of healthcare. Uh, that was the number one issue in 2019. And right now, also, we know it's connected to the pandemic. So it's interesting that given how tragic and deadly the pandemic is, it's notable that even with those very pressing challenges, number four and number five, number four is that we need to stop discrimination against the Latino community and other communities. And number five is that we need better treatment of immigrants and to stop separating families. So those are the five priorities, you know, as of this August that Latino voters described. And significantly, which I think is something that other Americans want to see, the top trait they would like to see in a presidential candidate, in a president, is somebody who will unite people and who values the country's diversity. So that's as a foundational piece on which to build those, the response to those priorities by the president, both the either the current one or whoever is next, and by Congress. Thank you, Chris. I mean, I had a chance to review, I think you published the memo in August that sort of shared some of those results. What struck me there in that memo that Unidos released was that when, and yet, it, that I think it was a recent poll that 64% of Latino registered voters said that no one had reached out to them, which is shocking given the demographics, given the disproportionate impact that the pandemic has had, given everything. So Stephen, can you help us? And then Claire Savas, you can build since it was your memo. Like, can you help us from your perspective? Why, how could that be true that people would be with the largest minority voting group would, would be that disinterested in reaching out to engage? Well, I think it's important to to understand that it's really up to us, the government, the people, the government represents to take responsibility for its democracy. And typically, we don't take responsibility for our democracy when it's minorities, when it's people who don't have a lot of money. The median wealth for Latinos in the United States is about $13,000. The median wealth for whites in the United States is about 10 times that, about $140,000. Same thing with African-Americans, median wealth is roughly around the same for Latinos. The incentive structure of our political system makes it difficult for parties, for candidates who depend on the money for their campaigns to reach out to this kind of a community that is struggling with those kinds of resources. Every relationship, right, requires validation, right? So if you're with a partner who doesn't validate your feelings, right, if you come home from work and say, hey, this happened to me and it's it was a negative experience. And that person says, starts to question you as if it was your fault, starts to ignore your issues and your problems. That becomes a difficult relationship, even in a partnership. If you extend that to the political system where you say, hey, you know, my problems are lack of access to education. My problems are I have mixed status people in my family and I depend on some of those folks to bring in the money to pay the bills. 
My problem is that I have a dangerous work environment. And the response from the system is, you just need to work harder. Or I, you know, I did this when I was, you know, in college. You should be able to do this too, right? There is a, a massive invalidation of the Latino experience in the United States, not only by the culture of the country, but of the political system itself. And when you're not being validated for your experiences, for your issues, for the things that you need to succeed, the response is to shut off, right? So like in a partnership, when your partner doesn't validate your experiences, your feelings, your troubles, you shut off. And much like that, there's a responsibility on the part of the government to validate. And this is one of the reasons why someone like Bernie Sanders was so effective with young people. Because young people have been saying for a very long time, I have to work two jobs in order to pay for the bills to go to school. And on top of that, I'm graduating with $50,000 in debt. And the response from America has been, you just need to work harder, right? And when Bernie Sanders comes up and says, you know what, you're right, that's awful. And we need to do better. And so when someone says that to you and validates your issues, validates your experiences, you respond, right? And so what we need is more of that from the system, not just individuals, not just parties, but from the system to validate the things and the issues that Latinos are saying that are hurting us. Essential workers, you know, essential workers are essentially, they're just being told, well, you just need to take responsibility for yourself and or you just need to get a better job, right? That is not the response of someone who cares about you. That is the response of someone who, who truly just is ignoring who you are as a person. And we need a system that treats us better. And until we get that, unfortunately, it's very difficult to get people to be an active member of a partnership when one partner, and on top of that, the most powerful partner of the two is not responding with a whole lot of empathy. What I was going to ask you, Clarissa, is just sort of, you know, do you have anything to add about sort of why, so you know, candidates have been so slow or ineffective in reaching out to the, the Latinx community? We know that a lot of times politicians don't necessarily focus as intently as they should on working class families, on working families, poor families. And we see these numbers, they're not new to this cycle. We see that a high proportion of highly likely to vote Latinos say they haven't heard from either party. So part of our work, and we are pushing campaigns really hard because even though we are nonpartisan, we think that the campaigns and the candidates need to be courting our voters. But one of the things that I am really excited about and the part that gives me hope is that our community, whether they're excited about our candidate, whether they're skeptical about a candidate, we are organizing ourselves. We are voting for ourselves. I'm seeing in the same surveys and studies that Latino voters saying one of the greatest motivations for them to vote is not necessarily the candidate they ended up voting for, but actually to give voice to and represent our community. And I think that has lasting power because candidates come and go, but we really have strong bonds of family, of community, 
into country, and those are everlasting. And that is why I think it is so critical that, you know, part of the work that's going on in the community organizing itself is that it's a chicken and egg game, and we need to break out of that cycle. So if we don't participate, it makes it easier for the system for the system, and frankly, the system is not an abstract thing. The system is people, right? People who are elected, people who are appointed. But if we disengage from the system because it's not responding, then we let it proceed as is. So that's one of the reasons why I am very hopeful that our community is looking at itself as the reason to raise its voice not just on the streets, not just in the calls of Congress at the state and local level and at the federal level, but in the voting booth. Because I think that there is an understanding that at the very least, we need to demand that respect for our community because we are builders of this nation from the very beginning to now to the very future. No better, no worse, right? Just the recognition of those things. And that has become a very powerful force Lastly, I think that on, in terms of the candidates and parties, one party has tended to neglect and or antagonize, frankly, Latinos, and the other one to take for granted. So that's why I think that the community's response, we are a very hardworking and resilient community, is we got to do for ourselves, right? And in order to change that, not to ignore government, but in order to make sure that our government actually is more responsive to the needs of its people. It's not about handouts. It's not about just needs without contributions. It's about having something that is more balanced. And I think that's why the other thing is we are a very young community. So I was, I'm first generation. I was, I'm a naturalized citizen. Nobody in my immediate environment had voted before. Even my cousins who were born in the U.S. hadn't really voted that much, right? So just like many of us are first-time generation college students and you have to figure that out, the same thing is in the voting space. And so that's why there's a lot of effort to make sure that the information is accessible, that it's understandable, that we try to demystify that process and to try to invite our community to that process. Because that's another thing you hear all the time when you talk to our potential voters is that nobody had ever talked to them about voting, let alone campaigns, right? But it's there's a lot of ground to cover. And that and continuing to work on that, I think it's a, a great challenge, but more than anything, a great opportunity. I mean, Clarissa, Stephen, thank you for, for both of that. I guess the question is, what can be done to ensure that young people stay engaged. So what do we do about the situation that you just described so that people vote regularly, they become civically engaged and not just every four years, but on a constant basis, you know, how do they get involved on school board levels and at every level? What are your views on that? Clarissa, let's start with you. So the first thing is that we got to challenge and penalize anybody that keeps referring to our community as apathetic. A community that works as hard as ours does is not apathetic. When you are talking about politics, it's not that we're apathetic. We're unconvinced for the type of relationship that Stephen was talking about, right? And so let's put that to bed 
and put the onus where it is, where it's like, okay, politicians, you want our vote, convince us that you have a platform that speaks to our issues. But even in absence of that, if we, that's a, a big question. So I'm going to apply it to the current moment. We're entering the final stretch before a presidential election, as well as numerous Senate, state, House, and other races. And the reality is that young people in our community are engaged. They are advocating, they are demonstrating, they are protesting, and partly is connecting and using all of the levers, including the lever of voting. And so for right now, I think there's a one, two, three we can apply to this particular period. One, register to vote. One of the cruel things about our system is that most of us are paying to the attention to the election when the election is really close, November 3rd. Guess what? Most of the voter registration deadlines have passed by them. There's only a few states that have same day voter registration. So number one, get registered now. And if you know anybody who needs to register, make sure they do. And you can start the process. Go to adelanteunidos.com and we can connect you to your particular state and system. So register to vote. Number two, make a plan. That's the other thing that states have different systems. But standard speaking, you may have two options, right? Either vote by mail or vote in person. And in some states, vote by person means voting on election day or early voting, which is a great thing because usually that's offered also on the weekends, which is incredibly important for people whose jobs don't allow them to take time off during election day. So make your plan, whether it's by mail, early vote, or on election day. And number three, vote. And if you're going to go in person, bring your mask, bring a pen. Bring something with or someone with whom to stay entertained because it's going to take a while. So take, give yourself time. I think those are the easy, the three steps right now. And I'll share this with you. If you are registered, think about this. Every single day, more than 2,500 Latino U.S. citizens turn 18 and become eligible to register to vote. And chances are, you know one of them. Thank you for that. I was saying we have a lot of high school students who, who fit that bill of 2,500 kids who turn 18 every day. We will make sure they hear your one, two, three. As soon as this podcast airs, we will make sure they hear those wise words. Stephen, what's your perspective on what can be done? I can't agree more with, you know, with those three steps. I'll give you a, a more a bird's eye view of what I think Latinos need to do. And that is, you know, Latinos are used to being the largest minority group in states like Texas, California, Illinois, New York. But I think what Latinos need to do, and and we see this happening, is today some of the most pro-immigrant groups out there are African Americans. So if you're African American in, say, Virginia, and you see an anti-immigrant ad, African Americans respond to that because they know that if they're anti-immigrant, Imagine how they feel about issues that are going to affect the Black community. So we're starting to see connections between African-Americans, Latinos, progressives across the country. And Latinos are, are, are going to need to go in a direction in which they're in states like Georgia, North Carolina, 
Virginia, where they're not necessarily the largest minority group, but an important coalition member. And forming those coalitions is going to vastly improve the opportunities for Latinos working with coalition members in these states to impact the election. So what Latinos can do is, you know, moving forward, is building those bonds within the communities that they are now going into, like Michigan, like Georgia, North Carolina, to be part of a coalition and expanding based on certain values, right? Right now, we see 65% of Latinos support Black Lives Matter. And it's because they're sensing that the problems that are facing Latinos today is not necessarily discrimination against Latinos and immigrants directed at them, but discrimination and racism in general is affecting the Latino community. And so discrimination and racism is above just Latinos and immigrants. So Latinos are sensing a general, you know, a general response from the system that is not just Latino-based, but race-based, ethnic-based, immigrant-based, and it's far larger than that. And we're seeing that consciousness come forward over the last four years. And it's very important that we nurture that so that we can build upon that, you know, in this kind of, you know, coalition building. Um, And ultimately what we're doing is nation building because the future of the country is going to be far more diverse. And we see responses today that are not only attacking Latinos or African-Americans, the LGBTQ community, but attacking the system in which they're participating in. So we need to nurture that far better today than we have been in the past. Dr. Steven Nuno Perez, Clarissa Martinez de Castro, thank you both so much for joining us, for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us. We will make sure that these words are spread far and wide as we close in on the final weeks of the election. When the opportunity, I don't know if either of you have ever actually come to a KIPP school. When that opportunity happens, we'd love to keep you engaged, have you come see what we're doing get you to to meet with our kids and our staff. And just, we are really, civic engagement has been really a big, for a while, a very big focus of ours. And voting and registering has been, you know, probably since 2016 has been, and even before we had this thing called KIPP Votes. And so we would love to continue the conversation and and get you more connected with what we're doing and also get more connected with the work you're doing and, and figure out how we can be of service to your efforts. One of the most effective forms of activism is civic engagement. And the easiest way to engage is to educate yourself and vote. Through voting, we can make our voices heard, our issues seen, and our actions felt. The power we wield by casting our vote can change our communities, states, and the nation. Please take the time to visit whenweallvote.org slash KIPP or text KIPP to 56005 and register to vote. It's the first step in creating a more just future for us all. Thanks for listening to the Kip on Learning podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to get alerts about new episodes and visit kip.org for job opportunities and information about our schools. We will be back soon with even more inspiration and insights from our community.